Welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number five, Getting Started in First Sessions. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be examining the conversation that occurs during the initial portion of a first session in solution-focused therapy. In particular, we'll be looking at the conversation that occurs before we shift into inquiring about the client's preferred future. This includes finding out about the client's best hopes from the session and hearing about the problem and how it shows up in the client's life. As well, we'll look at the use of coping questions and indirect compliments. And finally, we look at the importance of investigating pre-session change. Now, in the closing segment of the program, I'll add to our list of solution-focused therapy resources by mentioning several websites that might be of interest to practitioners. So, once again, welcome to Leading From Behind. I hope you'll find this episode useful. Now, before a first session in solution-focused therapy begins, like with any approach, there's usually some preliminary conversation with the client. This would include any discussion about confidentiality or any administrative tasks unique to the particular helping environment. In solution-focused therapy, there's usually some initial problem-free rapport building. Of course, how this happens might be a matter of style and preference for the individual therapist. For example, we often ask our clients about what they like to do with their time. This is a broad question that leaves it open for them to choose whether to mention their work, their interests, or even their family life. In some cases, we might ask the client about their past experience with therapy, with a particular focus on what they might have found helpful in the past. Now, there's certainly some benefits from having this initial problem-free dialogue. Before the session has really even begun, we can learn something about who and what is important to the client, create a sense of comfort in the room, and perhaps more important, take a first step towards building a good therapeutic relationship. Now, at the Halifax Brief Therapy Center, we would also introduce the Outcome Rating Scale, commonly referred to as the ORS, as the final activity before conducting the session. As noted in a previous episode, the ORS is part of feedback-informed treatment practices, which we see as an important companion in practicing effective solution-focused therapy. But we'll talk more about this in a future episode. So, once this preliminary dialogue is complete, we're ready to begin the first solution-focused therapy session. Now, as a means of looking at the process, skills, and techniques in solution-focused therapy, we're going to use a hypothetical case example throughout our examination of first and follow-up sessions. The client you'll be hearing is not a real one, and the presenting concerns are fictional as well. Nevertheless, the small snippets of dialogue you'll hear are meant to be illustrative of what might occur in a first session. Now, in our case example, the client is a 31-year-old woman named Rachel. She's in a relationship with a man named Alex. They've been married for three years and together for about five. Rachel works for a company in human resources, and she has a number of hobbies and interests. This is the first time she's seen a therapist. Now, to begin the session, I want to get an initial understanding of what she wants and her ideas about how talking with me might be helpful to her. So my first question goes directly to her best hopes arising from our conversation. So, Rachel, what are your best hopes from our conversation today? Well, um, just talking about everything I've been through and, and talking to someone who's neutral. I mean, it, it just seems like nobody understands. So just talking about it and getting it out. 
Now, Rachel's reply is both understandable and very common. In the midst of problems, it's not always easy to be thinking about what we want from a therapeutic encounter. And it's also a good example, right away, that solution-focused questions, like the approach itself, are simple but not easy. At the same time, though, just talking is rather vague and tells us very little about how exactly this might be helpful to her. So it's important, then, to seek some clarification. This talking and getting it out, what, what difference would this make? How, how do you think this will help? Well, I think then I can get out of this deep hole I seem to be in. And when you're out of this deep hole, where will you be instead? Well, I'll be back to being myself again. You know, the person I was like three months ago. Rachel's reply gives us a general expression of what she wants as a result of our conversation. And it gets our curiosity alive about what getting back to being herself might mean. In other words, what she might be doing or doing differently, or doing more of when she's back to being who she was three months ago. Now, after asking about the client's best hopes from the conversation, there's usually a movement then to a discussion of the problem or problems that have brought the client through the door. So from here, Rachel moves on into telling her story. As she does this, I want to do a number of things that are common to all therapeutic approaches. I want to be empathic and listen respectfully. I want to seek clarification to ensure understanding, and when appropriate, seek details of what and who is important to her. Now, from a solution-focused perspective, I also want to listen carefully for her efforts to cope, possible exceptions to the problem, or signs of strengths, skills, and resilience. However, in the interest of moving slowly and making sure that Rachel feels heard and understood, I'll hold back at this stage from asking many questions about these things. So here, then, is a synopsis of Rachel's story. About three months ago, Rachel suffered a miscarriage during the very early stages of pregnancy. The miscarriage was followed by a number of related medical problems. These required several visits to the hospital emergency and numerous follow-up medical appointments. For about a month after the miscarriage, Rachel experienced considerable physical pain. During that time, she was extremely frustrated with the medical care she received. Diagnostic errors were made, and she felt that her concerns weren't always taken seriously. She said her recovery would have been faster and less painful if she had received appropriate treatment in the beginning. A further concern for Rachel was her work situation. Her supervisor was initially very supportive following her miscarriage. However, as her health concerns continued and she required frequent time away from work, this support seemed to diminish. Rachel said that her supervisor seems to view her as undependable and unable to carry the same level of responsibility she had in the past. And even though she's been back at work regularly now for the last two months, Rachel said some of her work responsibilities still hadn't been returned. As a consequence, Rachel says that her work has been an ongoing source of frustration and stress. Finally, her relationship with her husband Alex has also suffered over the last three months. She described him as a very good man who was extremely supportive following the miscarriage and the resulting health concerns. However, once her health issues had been resolved and she had returned to work, he seemed to withdraw from her. He spent more of his time playing games on his computer and did less of his share of work around the house. While Rachel admitted that she hadn't had much interest in sexual intimacy during the last few months, Alex hadn't shown much interest either. She wants to return to making an effort to have a child. While Alex has indicated his desire for the same, she hadn't seen anything in him that told her that it was important to him. Now, in the midst of telling her story, Rachel also talked about how the medical concerns, her work frustrations, and her relationship challenges have shown up in her day-to-day -day life. 
First, she noted that her health problems prevented her from being active and maintaining a healthy diet. And since then, she hasn't been able to find the energy to get back into those routines. As a result, she said she has gained weight. She had worked hard in the past to live in a healthy way, and her inability to get back to where she was has left her feeling frustrated and irritable. Also, Rachel said that at times she has trouble sleeping at night. She said she would often be thinking about her frustrations at work or her anger with Alex. As a result, she said she lacks energy in the morning, something that's made it harder to get back to her routines of eating well and exercising. Finally, Rachel said that she often felt hurt and resentful towards Alex. She said they've argued more in the last three months than at any point in their relationship. So as it becomes clear that Rachel has finished describing the problems that have brought her through the door, I begin to ask further questions that will ultimately move us towards a discussion of her preferred future. Now, it's not necessary to ask this next question in every circumstance, but it can be a very useful one in understanding further about the client's ideas about the problem, and in some cases, whether the person sitting in front of us is the actual client. So, Rachel, whose idea was it for you to come here today? Well, it was my doctor's idea. She thinks uh, I actually might be clinically depressed. She wanted to put me on medication, but I, I don't want that. Uh, she thinks I'm grieving because of the miscarriage and, you know, all that. And what do you think about that? Well, I don't know about being depressed. I mean, I just know that I'm frustrated. And I'm not grieving about the miscarriage. That's not it at all. I, I want to get pregnant again. And I want to get back to where I was. From a solution-focused perspective, Rachel's response here is an important one. Once again, she's made it quite clear about what she wants, to get back to where she was before. Her doctor, of course, has taken a typical diagnostic approach, attributing her mood difficulties to grief and loss arising from the miscarriage. And Rachel, once again, is very clear that she doesn't agree with this. So as we begin the shift away from problem talk, I ask Rachel what is known as a coping question, a question that seeks to uncover how the client has managed despite the problems she has experienced. So, Rachel, these medical issues that you've been dealing with, with the miscarriage and the, the problems afterwards and then the, the challenges at work and some of the difficulties with, with Alex, how have you managed? What's, what's helped even just a little bit? You know, when I think about it, it's talking with my cousin on the phone has probably kept me sane. I mean, my husband Alex was great in the beginning and my family was definitely there for me, but... My cousin, Tina, was the only person who just listened and didn't try me, you know, try and tell me what to do. And so your cousin Tina, in uh, talking with her, uh, so how was that helpful for you? Well, I don't know. I guess it just let me get the thoughts out of my head and, and let me put things into perspective, I guess. Coping questions invite clients to identify their own expertise in managing with difficult circumstances. Secondly, they can also serve as indirect compliments. That is, by expressing our curiosity about such efforts in the face of problems, we indirectly compliment our clients about the actions they've chosen as a means of coping. Now, in recognizing that my client has expertise about her own unique life, I assume that there are other things she might be doing that have helped. And what else has helped, even just a little bit in the midst of all of this? Oh, reading. Yeah, I uh, think... Yeah, for sure. I think I've read more books in this past few months than I did in the last three years. And the reading, how, how has that helped? Oh, I guess it was just a, a way to escape. I mean, I'm a reader anyways, 
but it just gave me, you know, a break from everything. It gave me a chance to focus on something other than all the crap I've been dealing with. It's worth noting here that we look to reinforce or amplify the efforts clients make to manage by asking follow-up questions such as, what difference did this make? Or, how does that help? Again, the intent here is to invite clients to hear the sound of their own voices when they talk about their own knowledge or expertise. Now, as it becomes clear that Rachel has told us her story, and we have a sense of how the problems are showing up in her life, we want to inquire about pre-session change. Research has actually shown that up to 30% of our clients can report some kind of improvement in their circumstances from the time of scheduling an appointment until the time of actually meeting. So in solution-focused practice, this is a rich opportunity to learn about what may already be working for clients and gives us the opportunity again to reinforce and amplify unique solutions that have already begun. So, Rachel, sometimes people tell us that uh, between the time that they book an appointment and the the time they actually attend, that sometimes things start to get better, uh, even just a little bit. And uh, and I'm wondering, what have you noticed since the time that you booked this appointment until today that's been better, even even if it's just a little bit? Hmm. Well, things between Alex and I have definitely been better since our big blow-up. You know, that's when I agreed to go to the doctor about all this. And how so? How have things been better? Well, we've been talking a lot more, and, you know, he's definitely spending less time on the computer. We even had a date night on the weekend. Oh, really? And uh, what difference has this made? Well, I think I've been better with him. You know, like more patient. I also know that he wants to be with me. I mean, I always knew that, but... I just really wasn't feeling it. And so, how have you managed to be more patient? I just, I guess we just understand each other more. I just, I'm trying, you know. We get each other, I guess. So Rachel confirms that some momentum has already occurred. And again, we would likely continue to ask more about pre-session change. Now, at this point in our session, we can reasonably say that we have an understanding about Rachel's best hope from the conversation. We've heard details of the problem and how it shows up in her life. We have an understanding of how she has coped and managed. And we have some good details about the pre-session change that has occurred. So at this point, we're ready to move into the next key part of our conversation, an exploration of Rachel's ideas about her preferred future, the time when the problems are no longer getting in her way, and something else will be happening instead. So in Episode 6 of Leading From Behind, this is where we'll begin. This is the resource segment of the podcast where we identify books, web links, and organizations that might be of interest to solution-focused practitioners. In this episode, we've got a little bit of everything. The first resource is a very new one. The European Brief Therapy Association has created a new network site where solution-focused practitioners can interact and communicate through forums, blogs, and other means. The network site can be found at ebta.network.ning.com. While this resource would be of primary interest to European practitioners, the network is open to anyone interested in solution-focused therapy. Our second resource concerns the work of Elliot Connie. He's a solution-focused therapist and trainer based in Texas. 
He's also the author of the book Solution Building in Couples Therapy, published in 2011, and an excellent primer for those engaged in couple work. Along with Linda Metcalf, Elliot Connie is also the co-author of The Art of Solution-Focused Therapy, published in 2009. With contributions from a wide range of experienced solution-focused practitioners, this book offers some unique insights into the experience of using this approach in practice. Elliot Connie is also notable this week for the recent opening of the Connie Institute, a training center for solution-focused practitioners based in Texas. You can learn more about this at the Connie Institute. Connie spelled C-O-N-N-I-E dot com. Our final resource concerns an upcoming online journal devoted to solution-focused practice. The International Journal of Solution-Focused Practices will release its first online issue in August 2013. In the meantime, you can go to the website for a free subscription and learn more about what's in store. The website can be found at ijsfp.com. So, that's it for the resources on this episode. If you'd like us to mention a book, website, or training opportunity relating to solution-focused practice, simply leave a comment on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca or send an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you once again for joining us. In Episode 6, we'll continue with our look at first sessions. We'll devote that episode to developing the client's preferred future through the use of the miracle question. Now, just as a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind will be available on the 15th and 30th of each month. You can find the show notes for each episode, which include any web links mentioned on the program, on the podcast page at the Halifax Brief Therapy Center website at hbtc.ca. You can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Simply follow the link on the podcast page of our website or look for us in the training subcategory of the education section on the iTunes store. Subscription, of course, is free and you'll be able to download the podcast to your computer, tablet or mobile device. In closing, our thanks to my colleague Debbie Van Horn for her assistance in our case example, as well as Dano at danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. The music used in this episode is entitled Seven Skies. So you've been listening to Leading From Behind, episode number five. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you.